I'm Andrew O'Hagan, host of a new podcast from the London Review of Books. It's about the bloodiest and most controversial event of the Falklands War, the sinking of the General Belgrano. Margaret Thatcher was accused of a war crime. The truth would only emerge in the pages of a private diary. This is the Belgrano Diary. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the London Review Bookshop podcast. To find out about our upcoming events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events. I'll say right from the beginning that um, Celia and I are very nervous and we aren't, we both said it, maybe it's a bookshop, maybe it's um, seen friends around um, the people who know uh, Celia's work and have been close to her and some close to me. Um, so we'll do our best, but it's not a um, pre-rehearsed performance of 45 minutes, so we may jump subjects. But we have known each other a long time. Um, I've certainly, since the uh, mid-80s, I remember I bought a beautiful drawing of um, Celia did of her mother from her exhibition at Bernard Jacobson's gallery. And ever since, I've seen marvelous works come from every year of her life. But something definitely is happening in the last sort of seven or eight years, and even in the last couple of years, um, that is, is, uh, is, feels like some of the most splendid, um, you'll see the new subjects like water and trees and outdoors as well as a different kind of self-portrait painting. And this is in some ways a monograph um, of an artist because there are, its words are certainly balanced with images. Um, but I was wondering, Celia, when did you feel you were first going to make a book which was going to be words and images and a story, an autobiography in some ways? Well, I never thought I'd, I'd write a book. <laughs> and, but I think the first kind of stirring of desire was um, when I was doing an in-conversation with um, Hilton Earls for my first exhibition at uh, Victoria Miro Gallery in 2014. And I suddenly became aware of how words can actually throw light on um, images, and because my work is so personal and private, I, I began to see a kind of way in through words. But then um, all sorts of things happened. I mean, my mother died in the year after that, and somehow through her death, it's everything became quite precarious, and and so. To make a kind of structure with uh, language seemed an important thing to do. And she herself, she didn't really know anything about painting. For her, it was 
words mm. that mattered. So it's a sort of way of reaching her as well. And then I met um, Sarah Chalfont in a, from you know the, the Wiley Agency, and I met her at um, this German print exhibition at the British Museum, mm. and we immediately made friends. Mm. And and she was moving to Bloomsbury, just very near where I live, and and through her kind of gentle you know she's got this very gentle way with her and through her gentle guidance i started mm. to think more carefully yeah. about words and certainly i imagine a few people here were at the occasion at um victoria miro's gallery um the, the conversation between celia and hilton owls and but it was sort of breathtaking um hilton was in these kind of black bermuda shorts and if you don't if you've seen him he's stocky very black fantastic and he started asking Celia story, questions about being having many sisters like he had mm. and I heard you talk in a way I wouldn't imagine you talking in mm. front of an audience yes um, and he was a good catalyst wasn't he no you were open I mean, up those questions yeah. he's one of the most you know warm um most lovable people yes, in, in the world that. and um and just somehow we've we've always had this kind of connection because he has four sisters and I I do as well. And mm. um, but then a few years ago, a couple of years ago, Celia was also addressing um, students, many of them uh, Slade students in the Octagon Space at University College, you know, close by. She was all by her, just her on stage, some images, and I think it was a whole hour. And nobody walked out, and this was maybe 300 people in a huge octagon um, theatre. And I, I know that one thing you say in the prologue is that you would like this book to speak to young women artists, mm. and perhaps to all women. Um, yes. And that was some, some reason also to get certain things down? Yes, I think so. I mean, I think um, it seems to me a particularly feminine dilemma to, I mean, I know it isn't, I mean, this is generally speaking, but it feels that, I mean, for me, if I care for someone, I want to be there for them. Mm -hmm. And, and this creates all sorts of problems to do with selfishness, to do with following your desire to work. It, mm -hmm. It's, a, it's, um, and I, I, I think it's something that women particularly need to think about and address. And I, I, I think it is slight, just slightly different inflection. Um, male artists certainly need that drive of selfishness too. And I, um, when I was working for the Arts Council at the Hayward Gallery, um, I was working on the exhibition of Lucian Freud's in 1988, and Jake Auerbach um, is asking him questions. And he used this wonderful phrase that it was a life of self-indulgence, but also self-discipline. But I, I think that's, and that's the same. Sure, was, you know, many artists would um, begin with that. But I think, as you're just saying, um, that the, the sense of responsibility and caring, and, mm -hmm. and I think perhaps sensitivity to the needs of the yes. people that you're yes. close to yes. um, is, makes, and, and I think from knowing you over the years, you, you've said that in order to work in the studio, you prepare yourself in some way, don't yes. you? Yes. I mean, I think painting is such a different activity to writing. I mean, I, mm. 
I'm not sure how much more writing I want to do. It's because it's, um, it kind of knots you up in the shoulders and makes your eyes hurt. Whereas, um, <laughs> um, whereas with painting, it's, it's in a way, I suppose, more like a performance or um, mm -hmm. dance or something. Mm -hmm. Not that I'm remotely good at either of those things, but just to do with it coming more from here somehow. And yes. I wrote down, there's another phrase you use, though, that painting is a language of loss, too, and you worry that you've, when you paint over or take away, that you, you that's the end of that image, isn't it? That's um, right. So that yeah. goes, that presumably that goes through the day, too. Yes, session. yes. I mean, there's no way of saving a painting that you've, you know, mm -hmm. you, you have to lose the image to rework it. And sometimes that's tremendously tormenting, um, especially when you're kind of pleased with one bit of the painting and you have to lose it to make the whole thing work. And so it seems to involve loss in a different way to writing. It's certainly, because uh, I mean, all, imagine lots of people here write, and when I do it, you know, all I have to do is save it under a different date or whatever, mm -hmm. and I, could, I hope I don't go back to it all, and I hope I do it better and rewrite but it is there, you could see yes, it again. Yes, yes, um, yeah, that's right. And, and, um, but you can't, you can't even... Um, no, I can't, no, not, not to do that at all. And you've also, of course, asked, in many cases, you've asked people to come at a certain time, and you're taking their time. Yes. Um, you describe so well in this book um, the process of the 80 stairs um, uh, from ground floor to Celia's studio is, uh, and, and the process of expectation of time, um, yes. you know, how they prepare to arrive, and then you have, you begin. That's right. I mean, there's, um, it's terrible to be kept waiting. It's, why it's sort of painful beyond, beyond. <laughs> so it's, um, yeah, there's a kind of mutual interdependence, really. Uh, that I <coughs> understand. I mean, some of you may know that I've been sitting for Frank Auerbach's since 1978, and I know I the only thing I'm never late for, mm. unless there's total breakdown of London transport. Mm. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, but, but you, but you, um, you're, you're particularly... Um, are well known for the pictures of your mother and of your sisters, first of all. I, I think that um, it's important to me to work from people I know well, um, because if I don't know them well, I'm much more literal in the way I, I, I look at them. <coughs> I need to kind of, you know, measure the distance between their mouth and nose. And uh -huh. um, Whereas if I know someone really well, then you can take all sorts of liberties and mm -hmm. um, it's sort of almost beside the point um, to do with getting a kind of likeness in that measured way mm -hmm. um, and involves more of their presence, which you can only know if you know someone intimately. You, you haven't, um, some of you will have seen, for instance, Zadie Peace. Zadie Smith's piece in the um, New York Review of Books on this on this book, very long, very generous piece with good reproductions, um, and she um, does bring up the question of when Celia was posing, first of all nude, but also the 
I mean, you, you haven't done nudes. You know, you haven't done ever. Um, Maybe well, babies. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, at the Slade, obviously, um, life mm. drawing was very, um, and that so put me off that. I, I still, I mean, do you, do you understand why people do life drawing? I, I mean, I, um, I can't see the point of it at all. And I felt terribly self-conscious kind of holding the, my pencil up. And, mm-hmm. and, um, uh, <laughs> and but um, sometimes you persuaded somebody to sit for you privately, didn't you? Yes. Or one I mean, model you mentioned. I mean, I, I, I painted Angus, my friend, Angus Cook. Nude and maybe uh-huh. se- several more, but I I don't see people as nudes. Yes, um, yeah. I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so it it doesn't it's it doesn't feel I don't know it doesn't feel my area mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe one day, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but I I must say I never I think one of my it was a very, very surprising thing when B. Hemming, my editor at um, mm-hmm. Jonathan Cape, accepted my book because mm-hmm. I. Well, um, that's a pretty high bar. Isn't it? <laughs> um, because Cape, um, book. I, I wasn't good at writing essays or anything. I could never see a kind of structure to anything. I was, mm-hmm. I, um, I was very, you know, I, I could write kind of short pieces, and poems mm. but I, I never I had a, always and I still do a real problem with you know beginning middle and end and so I, I didn't think that this would be possible especially knowing how I envisaged the book with the images interspersed with the mm. text and mm. with poems and um, moving between different time periods as well B seems to have, I, I don't know, she's got this kind of quite visionary quality and she saw how to um, make a structure. And it, well, it is yes. an amazing structure. And um, it, yeah. I, you'll see, if, probably some people have, uh, that it, you know, um, they're, they're heading, so you, in theory you know um, this is going to be um, being a mother or home or whatever, but some are... Uh, there's one really two sections the ones that are dressed Lucian are particularly from diaries and notes yeah so you have dialogue in those which is yes. and very very um, particular and such delicate language I really think it's terrific one one sentence um, coming into the um, flat in Holland Park you say you were introduced to Rodin's naked Balzac, and I, I just thought that thing. There we are. I was introduced that sculpture in the same location, but um, but it was you know I I, I didn't get introduced. <laughs> it was a wonderful yeah. way of putting it. Mm. Yeah. I think there is a kind of quality to diary writing which is particularly vivid. I mean, there's one description of my first kind of meeting with Frank Auerbach where mm. um, I went out to dinner with Lucien and Frank and Julia mm. and um, and just something like you know Lucien um, calling after the waiter when you know he the coffee order came uh, just a little milk please and just mm-hmm. somehow that kind of a detail mm. seems to um, 
bring things to life in a way that's mm. um, different to other kinds of writing. Well, definitely, and, and mm -hmm. that is that that you know occupies I don't know three or four pages, but it's it, you as you're saying, mm -hmm. it's, um, and it says so much not just about uh, just about how you felt these old, much older artists who had spent years talking to each other, mm -hmm. talking so articulate, so yes. fast, so yes. um, you know, so. Incredible, really. Yes, right. and and Julia, you don't even mention my name. No, I wasn't introduced. <laughs> you were <clever>. uh, <laughs> So, um, and the women, I mean, me and Julia were silent. <laughs> so, yeah, there was this very definite divide. Mm. Yeah. Um, still, is somewhat the case, I think. <laughs> yes, yes. Couple, um, and then so you so you began you wrote down. Sort of, you'd sketch out a part. Um, you, you, some, you know, the, the um, some of the part about your son Frank mm. and your memories of him, and and I love the part where you're in a field and you you intersperse it with, um, for instance, your your mother seated and, and her sort of her lap, and then him sleeping next yes, to. Yes. Um, yeah. Having a little. I mean, in the field. Yes, he's a wonderful writer. He certainly uh -huh, And um, yes. he, he kind of wrote a, a little description of that painting and, um, you know, he had to lie very still and he says, while, while the morning dew um, crawled gently into his tracksuit. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And so, yeah, no, it's, he's, yes. Yes, he's also, he wrote an introduction to one of um, Celia's exhibitions far from feel, seeming to resent the fact that Celia was in London when he was young uh, and her mother was looking after Frank in Cambridge, he sort of said, Frank, he I, remembers you um, as a perpetual, reliable presence throughout my childhood, and I could launch whatever emotions were passing through me um, at the time onto Celia. So in a way, it was better than the Kind of scolding person who's asking the person to pick up their shoes mm. and, and remember this and do that. You, I don't know. It hasn't been a bad way of no, um, he, having a relationship he, for the he, two of you, anyway. Yeah, he does understand, but I think it was painful, certainly for me. And, yes, I think that's would um, be. and because he couldn't ever live with me because my where I live is my studio as well yes, and. Yes. When I'm with Frank, I can't think about myself at all. I've got no, I am completely subservient. And, um, <laughs> and mm. so I wouldn't ever have done any work if he'd been living with me. Yes, mm. yes, even if he'd been um, six hours a day at school or yes, something, it would yes, still... Yes, no, because you always, uh, you know, there's... I mean, the, th the thing that really interrupts a creative process is that kind of planning that goes mm. into being a mother mm. preparing meals and yes. um, going getting thinking what to have for supper and lunch and and uh, you know getting things ready for school and all those things are so seductive mm. <laughs> um, um, but they really do interfere with painting I, I believe mm -hmm. that completely. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, yeah. I, did, I was working full time when I had a very young daughter, but it's totally different. It's mm -hmm. you know, you're intense when you're in one environment, and then you swap when you come home. But I don't think that works at all no, um, no. if you're doing that kind of creative yes. work. And also, yeah. you um, are, as you said before, you're you're mentally 
preparing. That's right. Very early in yeah. the morning, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, I think um, I don't think I have the same kind of energy at all as Frank Auerbach. You know, because he works these long, long hours. Um, whereas for me, it's a lot to do. I mean, the thinking and being alone and preparing is as much part of mm. the actual process as actually putting the paint on the canvas. So I know painters generally kind of boast about how many hours a day they work, and every painters kind of pride themselves on how. Hardworking they are, but it's actually beside the point, really. Because, totally, um, they do say yes. that too. If mm. yes, yeah, yes, but it's, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why why painters feel they need to ju justify the hours they put in. I agree. But, um, I agree. And so that makes it even more difficult to kind of protect your solitude, because mm. how do you tell your exhausted mother who's looking after a small child that I've just been sitting in a chair all day. Yes, yes. So, um, yes, it's a, a different thing. If I'd had a job, it, it would have been easier in a way to explain mm. to her what, what was happening. You came to start painting and drawing after Lucien Freud's death, but also after your mother's death water and landscape. Yes, they, they yes. Were, you had done series of works, like the ones that were shown in Chichester, yeah. which were seem quite exceptional to yes. um, what one might have as an image of your work. Yeah. But, the, but the water was particularly um, about a, a whole shift, an emotional shift. Yes, uh, I mean it was, I did my first seascape really when my mother was ill and starting to get dementia. Mm -hmm. And she died quite shortly after that. And just somehow water seemed to represent the kind of flux. Everything felt um, in flux when she died. Nothing was secure. And everything became sort of overwhelmingly mysterious. <laughs> and the, the whole fabric of life seemed completely incomprehensible suddenly and it seemed you know she would she was a very solid presence and calm and consoling mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. suddenly all of that was fractured and so i started to look as at water as a kind of metaphor for those feelings and it, but it's brave to pick, take a to switch have a subject of a, a figure in the interior you're known for but very um, very not an interior domestic interior just walls and maybe a, a, a chair or a sofa um, but this is to paint um, across moving water you know, mm. rushing. There's one which is yes. a whole rush and torrent of water. Mm. Some are little waterfalls. Yes. Um, no, it's it's quite exciting to um, conjure up these um, seascapes and waterscapes and landscapes now um, in my studio in central London uh -huh. when, <laughs> with the traffic outside and just dreaming up these images. Mm -hmm. It um, mm -hmm. feels kind of, well, what else can I do? <laughs> kind of very liberating and, and exciting. Do you use yeah. different pigments that you haven't used before? Yeah, um, yes, I've, I've started to use more kind of experimenting with different blues. And mm -hmm. um, I've, I, I've always had a problem with green. And um, <laughs> right. um, 
I, I painted a hawthorn blossom tree recently and there's a lot of green in that and it felt exciting and mm-hmm. quite dangerous as well. Mm-hmm. Great. So it's <laughs> <laughs> Will any of those um, works be in your exhibition when it opens yeah, next yes, week? Yeah, definitely. There's in a, Mayfair, right? Yeah. Not far away. It's um, kind of a portrait. In Wharf In Wharf Road, yeah. It's the big upper yes, gallery, which yeah. um, is a beautiful space and very silent as well. I think there are 22 images, and they're portraits interspersed with mainly water and seascapes. But there is this, there are two trees. There's a rose bush with five white roses, um, which kind of echoes my big painting which is the kind of central piece in this exhibition which is my sisters in mourning which yes, i yes. i started and finished um immediately after my mother died and it's of my this four was sisters. planned i remember yeah. when i talked to celia when her mother was you know very aging it was inevitable that the time was a bit limited mm-hmm. you had you had painted them frontally a watercolor Yes. And then you had in mind already, didn't you, yeah. to do this memorial? Well, thing. I think when, after my father died, I did a, a big painting of my four sisters with my mother mm. seated in the middle. And um, it was a bit, reminds me a bit of the raft of the Medusa or something. They yes. looked like they were on a, a raft. and This did, is a picture that was at the Tate, that's wasn't right. it, last yeah. two years ago? And um, didn't have a navigator, because my father was a very authoritarian kind of man, and my mother hadn't even written a check or done anything, so she was mm-hmm. very um, vulnerable. And so I always kind of had this idea that when she died, I would do a kind of companion piece mm. to that mm. early painting. It's a wonderful painting. Which I, you know, um, was 1984 to 1986. And um, and this recent one, 2015 to 16. So mm. it's, um, and it's much darker, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And Mandy, your sister on the left, is sort of not frontal. That's right, um, yes. And, and then the, uh, There's a very, very different feel of... Um, it's all kind of ash and smoke coloured and there's a it's mm, a very, very, very desolate yeah, it painting. Is. And where, the, yeah. a space yes. above them. Yes. Yes. I, I mean I knew it was going to work from the first mm-hmm. sitting mm-hmm. and it just mm-hmm. sort of yeah, it had to work and so it did. And you've shifted um I mean there there's a there was a time, maybe uh, four or five years ago. When Celia's self-portraits, some of them were quite small, you probably know them, and she has these eyes and dark brows and particular shaped face. And when she's seen in the mirror, it's just almost like she's, you're making a caricature of yes, yourself. Yes, no, I mean, they're I mean, sometimes you know, hilarious. You see how beautiful right? Celia is. Yeah. And <laughs> this, this, just, mm. I mean, they say it's classic self Portraits are never to flatter yourself, okay. Mm. But this is um, has a strange. No, twist. no. I, I mean, I think my early self-portraits sometimes. I mean, they're it's excruciatingly embarrassing, and um, I think there's a kind of connection to truth uh, with a self-portrait that doesn't come into any other kind of painting. Mm-hmm. I think my fault to begin with was over earnestness and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's still actually one of my problems <laughs> and and so sometimes there was a kind of stiffness to my early self-portraits mm-hmm. I know 
I, I showed one in particular to my son Frank, and he just couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> and so, um, and I, I think the first self-portraits that really I'm pleased with were this group of five identically sized canvases mm. where I'm dressed identically in a black jumper, just, you know, head and shoulders. And there's a question as to whether these five are five sisters or are they the same person? Mm. And it hung together. They have a very, very sort of unsettling conceptual feel to mm. them. And I suddenly saw a way into to doing self-portraits. I think I've always thought of myself as kind of one of a group because of coming from um, mm. one of five sisters. And it's kind of undermined my sense of my own identity in that way. So to explore mm. that uh, of me as part of a group is, and they is have an the interesting. Sort of, uh, yeah. if, uh, the ones that have the um, month and the date. Yes, that's right. Yes. 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 Yeah. yeah. Title. Um, and then, and then I did that um, painting, which uh, titled "Painter and Model," which mm. um, relates to Lucian's um, famous portrait of me standing, um, painting um, my friend Angus Cook, and um, and I did the, this painter and model in the year after Lucian died, and in direct reference to that painting mm. with the same title and um, made myself with my hands clasped in my lap, looking down as if I'm sitting for a painting. And barefoot. And barefoot, barefoot yes. as a reference yes. to paintings yes. with um, squeezed up paint yeah. tubes. No, and quite a, I mean, many of your pictures have quite a lot of pigment, but yeah. this one yes. certainly does on your, yeah. what your, the, the, you know, the cover you wear when you're yes. painting yourself. Yes. Um, and, and a beautiful, fantastic work. Um, and I think it's a kind of powerful, strong work, even though I'm in this almost submissive attitude. And it made me think about kind of the strength of um, admitting to one's vulnerability, in a way, and that... Um, and that... that um, it's empowering to a, to acknowledge one's vulnerability mm. in a way that I haven't really fully explored before. Mm. Well, I can imagine that has a relationship to what you've been writing. To. Yes, yes, um, exactly. Um, because there's you know there's a lot of kind of um, defensiveness. I one one of the things I really liked in the Zadie Smith article. Um, was that she said about my memoir that it had none of the triumphalism of the usual kind of memoir mm. and that it's something I quite deliberately avoid. I, I don't like myself to ever behave defensively. I want to kind of admit my, my guilt. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah so, guilt, but also um, I, I've been working um, last year and a half on an exhibition which was in Milton Keynes in the summer of Paula Rego's yes. work called um, yeah. great. Obedience yeah. and Defiance. Mm. And, uh, you know, she's from another generation. She's born in 1935, which was slayed in the early 50s, um, where she met 
the painter Vic Willing, and you know she talks very d directly about uh, sort of being ordered, ordered to go into a side room at a party, and that's the first time they made love, and how it went on, and it's it's about in her case. Um, in some ways, being told what to do is what she wanted um, uh, from her father, who told her to go to England to study, not to stay in Portugal. Um, from Vic, who, um, you know, told her to work harder. From other people who did that too in her life, um, and there was, and then in her work, there was a kind of frisson between being complicit in the, um, you know, being an object of desire yourself. But um, that obviously places you at a vulnerability. And then you, obviously it changes over time. I don't mm -hmm. think it would be the same particularly. But um, in your description from your diary, there's, there's a, you know, there's, a, um, there's both some kind of pride that this person is paying an 18-year-old mm -hmm. attention mm -hmm. of this kind, the intensity, and also indeed the um, force that some of the things you painted um, have a kind of trip effect on the Freud's own work, and particularly in the After Watto, which I hadn't mm. thought about before. Um, so I like that, you know, there, there they are, but you're not trying to say, I was exploited, I was a victim. Yes, um, yes, no, not at all. I was very, very moved and inspired by Paula Rago's um, mm. recent exhibition, Obedience and Defiance. It's such a great <laughs> and um, yeah. and I noticed how how many of her figures are kind of um, horizontal on the floor or in this abject position, and yet they have immense power. Mm. And somehow that it's such a sort of subtle way of subverting the um, the the power, mm. um, and particularly thing. that group of abortion pictures she did in 1998 where she said she went back to thinking how she was when there was a model, indeed, in the life yes. room, or the way painters like you and Uglo had a model in the sort of, um, kind of cubicle within their studio. It had to be very direct, but these, are, these people are not in, in a position of shame or um, cringing. It's, mm. it's something they're going through, and, they, and they're in control in a certain way. Yes, and I, I think it's... Um I mean, I think male artists tend to be extremely competitive with each other, mm -hmm. I've noticed. And, and so for a woman artist, you have to make the choice of whether to get in the ring with the men mm -hmm. or, or else to kind of quietly step out of the ring and think of a subtle way of subverting mm -hmm. that. And um, I think the art, the women artists I connect to are the ones that have quietly stepped out of the ring. Like, I mean, for me, Gwen John is, for me, the greatest and the one I feel most deeply mm -hmm. connected to. Mm -hmm. And I think she did that. I totally agree. And, um, uh, actually, I brought, <coughs> I was brought to show Celia, but I'll say it now. Um, I brought, to, uh, I happened to have this little catalogue that was done. Um, in 1946, um, it was a, the first. It was the Gwen John Memorial Exhibition at the Matheson Gallery in London in 1946, and the introduction is written by her brother. And far from being, um, you know, uh, at all condescending or anything, you can see he's, he very much appreciates the difference between himself, his work, and his sisters. 
But one thing is terrific, I think. She says, um, Gwen John's apparent timidity and evasiveness disguised a noble pride and an inflexible will. When possessed, as it were, by one of the, quote, demons, unquote, of whose intrusions she sometimes complained, she was capable of a degree of exaltation combined with ruthlessness, which, like a pointed pistol, compelled surrender. But the pistol would be pointed at herself. Heroism knows no scruples. Your willpower is strong, too. Yes. You know, I wouldn't, yes. put, I wouldn't put pistols and certain mm. things in the, in the description, but you certainly have been... Um, there is a kind of inflexible will, and, a, and there has to be a little bit of noble pride. I, I think... When um, you're doing it, you have to start yeah. getting excited and believe in it. Yes. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think um, somehow related to that, one of the other kind of re- reasons why I came to write this book was that I was um, quite shocked after Lucien died that I was referred to as his muse Mm. and a lot of the obituaries even didn't even mention I was a painter and it's still the case that I if I am which I am more and more but I am a painter in my own right and I absolutely hate that phrase because it's kind of implies a kind of shadow uh, looming still over Mm. you and with its reference to slavery and everything but and I feel still I feel quite angry on Gwen's behalf that I mean she the last major exhibition she had here was with Augustus John wasn't it that's right and she 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 doesn't she she hasn't had a big. I, um, I know, why? Yes, I don't understand um, that. I agree. And and she's always, you know, either Gwen, uh, either Augustus's sister, or um, Rodin's lover. And also, and there's a sense of being a, pitying her a bit that she's she is isolated. She goes and lives in Meudon, and she's yes. Um, and in fact, you know, it's not even that. First, if you look at the pictures, you can see that's not mm. right. Um, the beautiful pictures of her, of, of, of a you know a woman with a long black dress. Some, they do sometimes remind me of your pictures. Um, reading in a corner or looking out a window, or, mm. or and and indeed Rodin, who's um, it was in his sixties when Gwen began. Uh, modeling for him is trying if anything to get her first of all he wants her to move to a room that's not so humid and is healthier to eat better to wash more to look after herself and to not wait for him but to try to work yes. and he's, he's actually a very good counselor um, yes. it just happens that he's also he's Rodin and he's um, charismatic and, and yes, passionate I yes but he's not a bad, I don't think he's a, she writes wonderful letters to him which talk about her, that uh, she feels that their art is their family. And I don't think she did have a particular maternal mm. need, and he didn't either, paternal. Um, and, they, and they exchange ideas about what art can be in, in place of um, yes, other yes. kinds of attachments. I mean, and, and she, I mean, she had her own unique way of painting and was never in not, any remotely not at all whereas no. with um, Camille Claudel you can see a kind of um, mm. some of them are derivative yes and, and she's in the studio yes. she's a sculptor and so she, yeah. I mean Gwen has always had yeah um, this extraordinary pure vision but I still think Rodin 
was quite culpable. In a way, like Lucian, there are these fatherly men who are very, very, you know, concerned, uh, but unattainable and remote and aloof. And it's enough to drive, you know, um, a young woman off the rails completely if she's if she's fragile, which yes, they yes. tend to to go for fragile no, women. A, and and I think. Um, he must, I mean, both Rodin and Lucien must have got something out of their vulnerability, which I, I feel is questionable. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly they're partly from a practice of working from the human figure and, and putting everything in those hours in the studio into the tension to the person one's painting. They're used to compartmentalizing their life to an extreme extent, and, and mm. certainly Lucien could do that so that he couldn't see how it was wrong to be intensely involved with somebody, maybe just painting a daughter, period of time, and then the same day or the next day be as intensely involved with someone yes, else. Yes, um, And I, I mean, with Lucien, obviously, it was more complicated because, I mean, he had so many um, children as well, yes. and um, yeah. whereas I, I was, I mean, Rodin, as far as I know, and he had this one son. Uh, uh, but yes, how yes. did he manage that? <laughs> that, 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 that I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a Rodin scholar, and I've and I've talked to other Rodin scholars, and there's just a faint possibility that Camille Claudel once had an abortion, but it's not even proven. And then, mm-hmm. as you say, um, there wasn't contraception in mm. very much in those years, so it, it's very peculiar mm. um, that there hasn't been, uh, there weren't other yes, children. Because obviously that complicates the whole kind of um, mm. misogyny thing. Um, if if there are women to be supported in a diff- in a different, I mean, the practicality is the practical help is. Mm needed more in theory theory, yes yes, the practical i mean i when i wrote a obituary for lucian for the guardian i did point out that two of the women who were maybe they were more like sisters and lucian always wanted to have a sister he didn't he had two brothers maybe these two were a little bit like sisters but uh, they were you know close to him for decades and neither of them had a child by him so Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't um it the journalistic idea that you just uh, make a hierarchy and the more children somebody's had by somebody's the yes, ranking is like yes. that is a bit yes. um, journalistic. Yes, yes, and, exactly. And yes. False. When you talked about um, Gwen John, do you mean particularly the, the, actually not just the subjects, but the application of paint, the way she paints quite dryly and quite... Um, yes, um, and the intimacy of the scale as well. I mean, she never did a really big painting and just somehow the the courage of that because you might have thought she would be inspired by Rodin to do things on a bigger scale, even if she didn't Mm. turn to sculpture. Or by the salon, by the the milieu of the times, yes. But but she she, she was a wonderful writer as well, wasn't she? She wrote that beautiful poem about... Her cat, yes, I, and um, it's interesting that painters and painters and writers, there must be some part of the brain that is quite similar. I, know, yeah, I, I read somewhere, if I can remember, that there are certain kinds of books that you can read that help you um, get into the mood for 
painting, and then some books you yeah, don't some work for you. Um, I have to be quite careful with um, Jean Rhys. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> right. That was the one. <laughs> the voyage into the yes, dark. Yes, I mean yes. they're they're so so intense and upsetting that um, they can they can actually um, make me see things quite differently. And there's so many exciting writers that I've you know just been reading um, Chloe Erigis and um, and well actually. Recently, I've just been reading Henry James one after the other because I, I, yes, and and something about the rhythm of his writing helps helps me the way it kind of starts off slow and then builds up in intensity so that very often the the most intense part is towards the very end of of the book. So uh-huh. um, and that seems to kind of um, correspond to the way I work as well. Mm-hmm. When you were doing the watercolors, I remember you sometimes use long brushes, yes. and your hand is, it's hard to keep steady when you were doing those particular yes. large scale watercolors. But I think, I mean, if you have a long brush, it, it does more connect with here because uh-huh. you, uh-huh. you don't have the same control. You know, if you've got a, sh- a short, you know, it's, you're much more kind of um, cerebral, or if that's mm-hmm. how you pronounce it. And, um, but, you know, there's that photograph of um, Matisse, the famous one where he's, he's drawing. He, he had that with, with um, a bit, bit of charcoal, I think, wasn't it, stuck into a long bamboo st- yeah, stick. Sort of clip. And, yeah. um, so it's, it's, and, and so it's to do with kind of um, a lack of control, which is um, freeing. And, and can you do that with oil too? Yes, uh-huh. yes. I, I can, but I do it when I'm working from life. But when I'm when I'm working mm-hmm. on my own on the landscapes mm-hmm. and um, seascapes, I don't. I it's um, I use whatever's to hand. I use a lot of actually the things that I use most are those kind of sponges that you use to clean out sinks with. Really? The, yes, because well, you can. Those ones are the green side. Yes, the- yes, and um, and and then sandpaper, obviously, and um, and and you know anything, any material item of clothing or anything that um, strays into my studio soon turns into a a rag. I can't. I can't. Um, Buy any bath towels because they're so <laughs> completely <laughs> ideal for for painting. Because uh-huh. so mm. the rub. Yes, yeah. yes. I didn't realize that at all. Mm. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, but that's also because you're removing paint, not just yeah, wiping well, the brush. Um, no, both. no. But making marks with making marks yes, with those yes. um, and your mm. fingers. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Other things that we'll, we'll ask other people, in fact, it is eight. time. Almost oh. eight. I think it's time to see if yeah. this, um, please, uh, it doesn't have to be a question for Celia. Or, um, it could be just what you've, what you've noticed looking at her work or reading the book or want to add. I just wondered if it was okay to ask about your problem with green and what that consists in. That's a, a, quite a difficult one because I love looking at green and it um, makes me feel peaceful. Um, but somehow, for some, I mean, the colours that come most naturally to me are kind of grey in every form, blue-grey and kind of dove-grey and and green somehow it sets my teeth on edge and it just, but there are paintings I love that are full of green and can you say what you think it is? I don't know. <laughs> For you from the inside? Or, or yes, it doesn't, yes, it, it, it doesn't, it feels, but I know that a lot of people would kind of push against that feeling and just just paint in green, but it, well, see what you think when you see this hawthorn tree, because um, whether, whether you think it works, because it might be, might be a new direction for me. Thank you. I'm just wondering, you've talked a lot about your process and how your work evolves in a very contemplative way. How important is it to you that your paintings are seen by other people? Is it kind of like if, if you were painting, is the process and the creation of the work of art an end in itself? Would it matter if they were never seen, or, or is the reception and the, the way they affect other people important to you? Well, it sort of relates to a question that people often ask me, and that's, do, do I mind letting go of my um, paintings? And I, I don't at all mind. Um, the, the bit I really hate is when they come and collect the paintings and wrap them up and take them down the stairs, because then I suddenly see them as bits of paint on um, canvas rather than something I've put my soul into. And so that's the moment I, I hate. But, and I wouldn't want to find out that anything had happened to one of my paintings. But otherwise, actually, once they're out of my... I, I don't... I, I'm glad, glad to see the back of them. <laughs> <laughs> Celia, as I opened up your book this morning by deliver of Amazon, the first thing that surprised me was that you have a photograph at the front of the book, even though you spend a life painting people. Why is that? On the front of the book? Yeah, there's a photograph. Um, yes, no, I, was, I was quite kind of, um, when I first saw this cover design, I was quite um, taken aback myself by this. And, but I love it now, and I think, in a way, a, a, a cover, I think I would have felt more self-conscious, in a way, about having a painting. And it seems sort of to express so much about 
I mean, the the core of this book is about my young self, and it it seems to kind of um, convey that really vividly. You've talked beautifully about about uh, painting from life and the human form, and then and then the shift to landscape seascape. Uh, I would love I would love to hear anything you had to say about the human form in an interior. What, what when we look at paintings, how much attention are we supposed to get, or the relation between the figure and the interior. What do you mean? How the figure is placed in space? Or yes. What, yes. Do, what are the four walls or the window? Or yes, the door? Why, yes. Why do they need be there? You know. Yeah. Um, so I'm, yeah. I'm just very curious about, about no, putting I, the 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 human in a structure. Yes. A, yes. I think it's it's so interesting working from life, and my my um, sitters all sit in the same corner of my studio, so it's become a kind of really haunted space and they each sitter does actually affect the air around them it's I don't know if you've I mean my studio window faces north and sometimes it really reminds me of uh, a Vermeer interior the the quality of that north facing light where everything that the colors the light picks up on all the colours and washes around the form. I mean, there's that, you know, that extraordinarily beautiful woman in blue by Vermeer where she's reading a letter and, and the air around her is is tinged with blue, which is so that the air is kind of like a liquid around around the form. So that the the figure and and the space around it do interact. Um, a, another painter who who works very much around this idea is obviously Giacometti, and um, and you can see very very um, definitely how each of his sitters uh, affects the space around. Yeah, I, I always found it interesting that your mother said that it was a vocation for her to sit for you. And I suppose that might also apply to your sisters, I'm not sure. But I, I, whatever you want to say about that, perhaps if you could say something, but I, I'm struck by the idea that although you're very solitary and very disciplined, you, have, you are accompanied, or you have been, and maybe the sea paintings are private, are more private. Yes. Well, it is it's, it's a very, very different thing working from life to working. Because I, I, um, it's not even that I work from memory when I work from a landscape or a seascape. I actually dream them up and they kind of um, happen in a different way. But it does, it does really affect me how my sitters sit, what frame of mind they're in. And my mother because she used to commute down to central London from her house in Cambridge to sit for me, and she often used to arrive quite jangled and obviously out of breath coming up all those stairs. And so the first session was often not, you know, I, I got terribly impatient with her. And, and then gradually the kind of silence started to work. My sister Kate is, is remarkable at sitting. She has... She's in in a kind of world of her own, in a way that leaves me completely free. And um, 
my husband, um, Stephen Kupfer, he, he has a very different way of preparing to sit. He memorizes cryptic crossword clues before <laughs> and, and um, he, when, when he first started to sit, he used to think about philosophy, but um, that tended to make him to go to sleep. <laughs> and so, um, but, but I know for myself, um, through having sat for Lucian, that um, even though I could pretend that I was sitting well, if I was feeling kind of trapped and resentful, which I often did, I didn't like sitting for Lucian at all. I felt claustrophobic and it just, yeah. So, and that was something I think he picked up on. And I think it, and I know for myself that if there's a kind of unspoken impatience or um, resentment that rebounds on me and um, makes the painting go badly. Just try never to fall asleep. That's another issue <laughs> when fading light happens in the <laughs> evening. You mentioned about the depth you get from painting subjects which you know intimately and how this is more maybe metaphorical. You can have, there's something, there's a different quality of that painting which is, is freeing. I was wondering how you approach living subjects but in the sense of nature, you talked about the Hawthorne. How can, how is it to, to be able to know that, um, I don't know, that tree or that element from yes. nature intimately and make it not literal? What, does, what do you think that, how do you, yes. you think you go about that process? Well, um, certainly with the seascapes, I, I return every year to this um, same place because um, from the age of when I was 11 to when I was 17, I lived by the sea um, on the north um, Exmoor coast where my father was head of this um, evangelical religious community. And I got to know this particular bay and so you know, I got to understand how the waves worked in this quite small bay. And so that, you know, when the waves coming into the shore, it was almost like they were greeting me personally. And, and so it gave me a kind of freedom to be able to paint water. And then with the things like, you know, the, the rose bush, um, that's actually... A, a bush that is in um, my sister Jane's garden, and it year after year it produces these five white roses, and so there's a kind of feeling of renewal about it, which is very life affirming. And I've always loved Hawthorne. I mean, I think I wished that bit in Proust would go on for another uh, <laughs> twenty pages um, because I I absolutely love that whole description of the hawthorn you know his ecstasy about the hawthorn blossoms and and then you know talking about the blossoms the hawthorn blossoms tinged with pink and um and and somehow Th those of you who are um, have the desire to um, um you know get closer to the work and think more about the background will have a treat fairly soon when Jake Albach's film comes out because he's gone on location with Celia to yes. um, Lee Abbey and to various other places. That's right. We went and, to Haworth as well. And, and Haworth. So there'll um, be a sense yes. of um, the, yeah. some of the um, yeah. uh, identification yes. with particular That's right. places. And, um, um, Yorkshire, they, because 
when my father died he, in 1983, he was Bishop of Bradford, and um, the bishop's house looked onto the Yorkshire Moors towards Haworth, and I've always had this kind of identification with the Brontes. I expect lots of people do, but um, somehow coming from a clergy family and one of um, sisters. The sisters that um, I did a painting of the uh, Bronte parsonage and um, somehow I've, through feeling quite intimate about the Brontes, I felt kind of freed to it's do my wonderful. own painting. It's wonderful, the tree and the path, mm, that's particular yes, one anyway. Yes, yes. Yeah. But I, um, and, and in fact, the most kind of adventurous I've ever been was that um, earlier this year I had an exhibition at the Huntington in um, L.A. And I, I hate going abroad and hate traveling and feel desperately homesick. I don't mind flying or anything like that. It's just being away from home. I, uh, it's terribly painful. So, but I actually really was excited by California and um, stayed in this hotel in Santa Monica right on the beach and and then when I came back because there's such a particular quality to Californian light it's it's like some lens has been wiped clean and because um, everything here has some sort of a halo around it mm -hmm. whereas whereas there everything has a sort of crisp outline and and the quality of the light so extraordinarily clear. And so that was kind of very inspiring in quite a new, adventurous way. Thank you very much. Thank you all very much for coming. Thank you all for your comments and contributions. And most of all, thank you, Celia Paul and Catherine Lampert. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. To find out more about London Review Bookshop events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.